Hello and welcome to Poetry Non-Stop. I'm Patrick Widdis bringing you another poet to share her poems and some inspiration. Make sure you have a pen and paper to hand so you can join in with some writing later on. Beth Hartley has just finished her first collection, What If Stars? She describes herself as a poet of people and place, the transient and the eternal. Broad themes, but she can also capture small moments in exquisite detail as this first poem shows. Before. I am here. Hands curled around my cup. Self curled around inside a blanket, looking at the morning and the rain in the stillness only early brings. I have long retreated when the day is young, for this is a time for dreaming, my mind sending out beams of light, catching up with small things, every second waited knowing it might be the last before the day actually breaks and footsteps change the peace of this before someone turns on a station I didn't choose or asks questions I can't answer. Just want this. A cardamom-scented moment. A single drop of daylight only for me. My curved hands and curved self drawing strength from dawning. I like that uh, cardamom-scented moment and those uh, closing lines. Um, it uh, captures a, a very special moment. Um, how, how did the poem come about? I am something of a habitually early riser, certainly the earliest riser in my family. And when I have the time, and the energy to get up, I suppose. I like to just take a bit of time for myself before the day begins, before things get busy. I think I wrote that maybe when we were in the early part of lockdown and everybody was at home. The cardamom is a particular tea that I like, which I actually can't get at the moment. I'm missing it. Uh, a red bush tea that my dad gets for me and it has cardamoms in it and if you're lucky you get extra cardamoms in your tea bag and your morning smells of cardamoms. So I guess this is uh, something you experience quite often so um, when did the poem begin to take shape? It's not something I get as often as I, I used to, the, you know my household is a different shape now when you know we have different uh different habits and my daughter's a bit older and things like that i think i was just enjoying the the moment taking that time to to listen to what was happening to observe what was happening around me that that this was a time when i had time to have that cup of tea to watch the rain to be up long enough before everybody else that I could sit in a blanket and do that it's something that I do a fair amount I think to just watch what's happening 
Yes, it certainly comes across as a rare and treasured moment. Um, how long did it take you to write? I'm not sure. I tend to make my observations relatively quickly with that sort of thing to capture the, you know, the, the sound, the smell, the, the, the particular observations of that moment. I was actually writing something this morning in a similar sort of way and I'm just getting down those impressions, the, you know, the cup with me, me in a blanket, you know, me in on the sofa, the, the whole sort of layers of, of it. But it, I think also it just then it brings back other things that are similar to that, you know, other mornings where I've been the first one up or I mean, trying to get things done before anybody else gets up or something like that. Yeah, and uh, do you find yourself uh, thinking about that poem um, either when you have got that peaceful moment or when it's uh, sadly lacking? I often write in the mornings. I do quite often write early. That tends to be one of those those between times, you know, when there's not really anything late at night or early in the morning tends quite often times when I'm writing partly because that's when I've got the space you know I'm not uh, required to be at a job or get somebody to a bus or be somewhere for a particular time I'm just in my in my own space so yeah I do I miss I miss that on the days when I don't get it but also maybe if you had it too often you wouldn't you know you wouldn't relish it so much yes yes quite um and I believe you've run workshops uh, getting people to do a similar thing I have I have a workshop that I put together for the workshop space allographic in 2020 originally it was supposed to be you know in physical space and then we were faced it was the first proper workshop I think that we ran online and had to adapt all of these ideas that I'd been having um, and I encouraged people to to inhabit their space, which is a strange thing thinking about the fact that we were there all the time. This was um, in the first lockdown when we were really all tied to home and, and really not going anywhere. But sometimes the very familiar things, we miss them. You know, they're, they're, they're literally wallpaper. You know, we don't we don't connect with them. So, yes, I encourage people to go into a part of their house they weren't in when they were in when they were at the computer or to go in the garden or you know just somewhere else and observe that space and listen to it whether that was um physical sounds like you know birds in a garden or the noise your heating makes or something like that but to listen to your space and listen to the situation and and uh, observe the you know the sights and the smells and the sounds and the feelings and and what that what that means yeah and it's a great point and there's always something new um however familiar however old everything seems if you look at it that bit closer you can see something different and interesting yes i think so i think we had an interesting opportunity. We have had an interesting opportunity over the last 20 months to, 
to observe things in a different way at very close quarters and although that has been there lots of been lots of frustrations to that I found that I still you know like to sit with a drink in the morning maybe and when it got hotter I'd go and sit outside listen to the birds and the things and you know the things in my garden or just early morning noises of all different kinds <laughs> yeah and um how did the uh people in the workshop get on with the exercise people wrote about have written about all kinds of things with this exercise it's one of the first exercises in the workshop so it's a it can be a kind of loosener and then it uh People have the opportunity to go back into that. So I've had people write about a bottle of Domestos. I've had people write about their, the chair, the actual chair they're sitting in, and all sorts of different things that um, encourage people to look at the things that they are very familiar with, you know, and think about what those things might say to them as well. This is your, you know, your house saying, you could really do with painting me. Why have you still got 15 paint swatches on the wall? That's me at the top of our stairs. Those things, what is what's being communicated to you by your space? Yeah, yeah. Do you do a lot of workshops? Um, I don't. I have run that one a couple of times and I've got ideas for more. I'd like to do that. It's been quite an interesting experience to do that. I have a sort of idea about running things that are quite slow to allow people to there's a lot of benefits in writing quickly and I do you know I have things where I do that for myself but sometimes it's just nice to rest in time that you know poetry is something that I do for myself primarily that's my space so um, encouraging people to to rest in it almost uh, allow things the space and the time yes good advice and um i mean this podcast is uh meant to be a workshop among other things so mm -hmm. i hope having uh heard that poem and uh that uh, wonderful advice that uh you will find um inspiration the part of your home that um you maybe haven't thought of writing about before I think um, it can be. I think it can be anywhere as well. When I first sort of started writing again properly, one of the first things I did was write about the people that I saw every day when I walked to work, because I walked the same way every single day at the same time, right. and I would see the same people, and it was like a clockwork motion. Yeah, and I realised that yeah. we all fitted into each other's days, and I found that idea very pleasing. So, just yeah, whenever your space is the time that you find yourself writing in the day, because that's another thing that I ask people to, you know, to consider when are the times when you find yourself writing. And for a lot of people, I think it's early in the morning or, or late at night. It's quite common for people to say that. But yeah, to just feel that whatever that is and, and see or just take time to sit somewhere and let it talk to you a little bit. Yes, yeah, that's a great exercise and um, I uh, had a go at it as usual. Um, Wonderful. And uh, yeah, I uh, sat in my living room, uh, sat where I am at the moment, in fact, and uh, 
just started off, uh, I think I sent, set a clock for about 10 minutes and just wrote about anything I could mm -hmm. think of looking around the room. And um, I think the thing I'd say is to be patient. After I'd done that initial writing, I, I didn't get any immediate ideas, maybe one or two interesting lines or sort of possibilities for something, but nothing really um, came out for a while. And then after a few days of the ideas of being at the back of my mind, um, suddenly it began to come together. So, um, yeah, I'll uh, read you my uh, poem written in my living room. And Thanks. it's called October. The clock needs turning back. That golden disc ticking away on a wall the colour of sky when it definitely won't rain. The windows are shut, the kettle boils. I fill my mug and return to the books huddling on the shelf. I reach for the duvet. There's reading to be done. Oh, I like it. Patrick, that's lovely. Very, Thanks. Very evoking that, this, that that we have at this time of year, isn't it? The sort of should we do things or would we really rather just be comfortable somewhere yeah and actually would like to retreat from the rain and the cold and the, you know the other things that are not so fun and just you know a book and a blanket and a cup of tea yeah yeah it's a bit of an impulse to hibernate sometimes yes yes <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so uh, that's a great poem and exercise, and um, I look forward to uh, seeing what it inspires and others uh, listening to this podcast. Yes, that would be great. Yeah, so um, that is one of the poems in your pamphlet, which has recently come out, um, What If Stars. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? I can try. So what if stars is really a it's accumulation of lots of you know of lots of different work over the last few years and it had been brewing for a little while. Um had a number of people say to me, oh, I'd love to have your stuff in print. And just before we locked down last year, so in February 2020. I got a place on a workshop with Leanne Moden at the Writer's Studio in Nottingham about putting together a first collection. And I was starting to think that might be something I wanted to do. And I know Leanne. And so I was like, well, that'll be all right. I can, you know, I'll go there. So I was went with a friend and started to think about, you know, how I might put something together. And then there were a series of events across the late spring, which put a rocket under me, basically. And I decided that was the time. And then June became build a collection month, apparently. You know, we did Napo Rimo in April and then edited in May. And then it was like, right, apparently June is the, you know, start putting a book together. And I used some of that framework started thinking about the, the kinds of things that I write about and 
kind of started to group some things together. The book's got four sections yeah. that relate to different kinds of things that I that I write about. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I've got lots of uh, poems kicking around now and um, you know, knowing how to put them together into some kind of meaningful collection. It's um, rather hard to know uh, where to begin with it. I found it very challenging. Um, but I was, I'm used to putting things together in an order in other, in other parts of my life. It's, I had to find, once I'd found the hooks to hang things on, then it got easier to sort of think about what would fit in those places. And I, I found a, I'd found a press that I liked the look of that had a, happened to have a submission window at the time. And they had quite a big remit in terms of a first pamphlet for, or first collection. And I put together something that would fit within that remit. And when I'd done that, I actually really liked the way that it had come together. So then that gave me a framework to look at places that would accept that that whole thing that I'd put together and worked along from there. Right. And did you then find yourself writing other poems to kind of fill those gaps? Um, no. I think in this collection, everything that was written in this collection was written the last, I think the last of them was written in about March. So nothing was written directly to go into the collection. They were all things that I'd written prior to that point. So there's like, there's no uh, lockdown poetry in here, for instance. Right. And that has been something I've ended up doing. Um, Lionhead sounds like a, lo a lockdown poem, but actually isn't. It's just it just happened to be that I wrote it in the spring before lockdown. It's just the way that things fell out. I think, but I think Lionhead and I come from are probably the ones that were written last, but they were still written before I'd started to put the collection together. Yeah. So. Um... Have you got another poem to share? Yeah, I have. I'm going to share the title poem. What's what became the title poem? So um, I know that you had Ken on uh, a little bit back, and he was talking about abracadabras, the abracadabra form. Yes. We had learnt to do that in an allographic writing, and I was quite taken with this descending format and I thought oh I wonder what would happen if you turned it up the other way if you had an ascending format what would that look like um, and so in but I forgot that it was syllables and not words but by the time I'd got going I was so commit. I was committed <laughs> to the thing that I was writing, which was a napo from a, a napo rhymo prompt, that I just kept going to see what would happen, um, and accidentally invite invented a form on the way. So this is an ascending and descending 
form. So it goes from one word, two word, three words up to 11 and then from 11 down to one. Um, the prompt was, what if you could bottle the stars and have a conversation with them? And this poem is called A Long Wave. What if stars were telling us everything about the universe? The vastness of space means the message comes in tiny fragments and we are not yet slow enough to catch up on all the star views because we haven't listened long enough to find out and shards have slipped through ages and into rockets, their fuselages dented by the stories being told by our galaxy. This is why we don't know. We are only hearing fractions. We see their speech like spatter on our windscreen, black and full of specks we can't interpret unless we learn to tune in slower and take time to understand, decode, decipher, dream and find a fuller picture of everything existing. Imagine what we might discover if we caught all the little scraps. What if stars? That's lovely and uh, it uh, flows so naturally. Um, you wouldn't necessarily thinking you were restricting yourself with um, uh, uh, numbers of words and so on. That's really nice to hear. It, um, the form got christened uh, a Mothra by another poet friend who I'd said, I've written a poem and it's about space and it kind of looks like a moth. And he said, it's a Mothra. So that's, it's, that's what stuck. And, and, and I've shown people how to write that one in, in the right club. And, and there are a few more Mothras flapping about in the universe now, which is nice, nice to know. Yes, yes. Well, certainly once you start looking out to the rest of the universe, it can be quite uh, mind-blowing. And <laughs> the poem uh, definitely captures that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so how did you begin writing poetry? Oh, well, I always say to people that I've kind of fiddled about with words um, most of my life, really. I think I was about nine when I decided it'd be a good idea to write a book. Not sure what happened to that, really. And I had a go at writing. I loved reading. And so to me, you know, the idea of writing a book was something aspirational or something I really had this idea of doing. But it, that idea sort of fell away after a while and I pursued other things. I wrote in my teens and I wrote poetry in my teens and I wrote song lyrics as well in my teens. And then I didn't really write like that for quite a long time. And then around, I suppose I would have been in my mid twenties, had quite a long phase when I was writing poetry quite a bit. And I did, there is actually one poem in the collection from that phase of writing. When we moved to Ely in 2003, I think. I had been writing and I just stopped. I don't know really what happened. I just, it just stopped. Mm. And it wasn't until to, I don't know, 2011, 2012, that I started trying to do things. I've written, 
I'm, I'm a lay preacher in my church and I'd written worship material and lots of other things, but I hadn't really written poetry. And then I was asked to write something for a group that I was in and, and for a service. And I wrote this poem about what happens when people knit and somebody I know really liked it and said I'd like to send it have you got anything else and I said oh I've got this one other thing which was the clockwork morning poem that I'd written and I said I've got this and I used to write a lot more but I haven't really written anything recently and they said I really like them I'd like to send them to somebody I know who's involved in poetry locally and I said oh I don't know how I feel about that and they said well actually I've sent them anyway <laughs> <laughs> but the somebody they knew who was involved in poetry locally was the standing at the time the standing Fenland Poet Laureate and that was Leanne and, and that was it she said will you come and read them at Fenspeak read something at Fenspeak and I was very very scared but I went and and I can always say the rest is history. I just I found that I was writing more, and I could write more, and so I've written more. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Um, and uh, the books published by Allographic. Um, how yeah. did that come about? I've been writing with allographic now for I don't know I've slightly lost track of time I don't know anybody about anybody else but this sort of concertina time that we've had through lockdown I've slightly lost track of how long everything is I think it's about four or five years uh, Faye Roberts had come and read at Fenspeak when they were preparing the Selkie for Edinburgh and mentioned allographic and I thought oh I could go, that's not too far away. I could go. And then I just, it slipped and slipped. And then one time I'd seen a workshop with Allographic advertised and it happened to be in half term. So I wasn't charging around in the same way that I normally am in term time. And I thought, oh, I could go. I should go. So I went. And I think I'd made it to the actual night once before that and kind of been a bit blown away by what I'd heard. And then I sort of didn't go for quite a long time. And then I went to this workshop and stayed and, and that was it really. I haven't, I found a home there. So it, the book being there feels like a very, whole and right place it's most of the poems were born there and these words for me these words belong there so when Faye had approached me and said is it time I just said I, yeah I think so <laughs> I think it's time for them to come home and so now they are it's you know it's a lot of the the poems were born at Allographic. It's dedicated to somebody who was part of the Allographic family that I 
wouldn't have I wouldn't be writing the way that I'm writing if I hadn't had that work behind me that we've that we've done all together workshops and you know looking at things and just persisting I think that's it's what it's taught me to do is to persist in my writing and to dig into things I wasn't writing consistently when I when I started in 2011 started again you know I wasn't writing consistently and I didn't know how and one of the skills that I've been taught over that over this period by the writers and the poets that I've worked alongside and read beside as well at Fenspeak and other places has been how to persist how to keep the machine moving if you like yes yes indeed um well um and I, I just uh, received my copy of the book today, so I uh, look forward to reading it. But um, uh, it's been great to uh, hear some of your poems today and um, uh, remind us all to uh, look a bit more closely at the world and uh, see the beauty and the poetry within. Um, I hope you... so. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, um, would you like to give us another one to finish with? Patrick, if it's all right, I'm going to give you something slightly newer. This is not in the book, but is a, another observation, I think. Um, this actually came from a, a photograph that I saw on, I don't know, a, a social media, I think, Instagram, maybe that's got lots of pictures. And I looked at it, and when I first looked at it, I didn't know what it was. It looked like a desert. But it was a close-up photograph of an eye. The, you know, the iris and the pupil of an eye. And it looked like a desert. So this is called Deserted. Here am I, desert-eyed, turned to sand for the lack of you. My iris shutters, bone dry and desperate. Days are dunes. I keep walking towards you, even as the wind removes my footsteps and blows craters I must clutch at. The dearth of you has dried me to a fine grain that sees me crumble should we meet. Disappearing like an hourglass draining, I am found in drifts swept away by other unseeing ones but my eyes they have become arid in your absence i long for the oasis black and reaching into which i tumble when you are there the desert makes you promise trips your feet so you lose the little grip you built will bury you at the slightest wrong place step the desert will draw thousands in and yet I will see none even tears are gone to salt my lids are full of grit so much of you has fallen from my pockets a trail of who you used to be but I can no longer follow as I slip and my knees hit desolation I wish with all my scoured heart that the figure I can see 
the one I hope is you will not be a mirage. That was Beth Hartley with another gorgeous poem there. Her book, What If Stars, is published by Allographic and you can buy it via the link on the website poetrynonstop.com where you can find details about this episode, including Beth's writing exercise. I hope you feel inspired after this episode and I look forward to joining you again soon. I'm going to leave a final word to Beth. Thanks for listening. Please share and subscribe and keep writing. The thing I would say is is make make time for poetry and give it a space to live in. I'm a bit of a notebook nerd. So <laughs> I have a particular thing that I carry around with me and I do that now because I never used to. I just used to write on scrappy bits of thing. And then one day when faced with going to a workshop for the first time, I was very nervous. I bought it stationary because that's what I do. <laughs> when I'm worried about something I give it a notebook to put it in but actually that changed everything about for me about the way that I write because I had somewhere always to put it you know to put what I was working on and physically making that space whether it's a you know sitting at your desk might be for you but for me it's actually physically having that paper space to write in is something that's made a difference so make make time give it a place to live